Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth in Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm Hannah Strong. And I'm Rogan Graham. On the show this week, it's a Nope special and we dive deep into Jordan Peele's latest bad miracle, and on Film Club, we look at a couple of classics which inspired Nope, Hitchcock's The Birds, and Steven Spielberg's blockbuster Jaws. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Welcome, Hannah. Welcome, Rogan, as we all sit here sweating on a lovely London morning. Um, yeah, Hannah, it's always wonderful to have you back. But Rogan, I think this is your first time with me as host. It is. Hi. Welcome. Well, no, not welcome, but kind of welcome. Congrats on the new job. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to say congrats on the fact that I think probably by the time this comes out, it'll be sold out. But you are doing possibly what you were set on this planet to do, <laughs> like having a screening. You want to talk about the screening that's happening this weekend? Yes, so it is sold out, sold the final two tickets yesterday, um, this Sunday at Barbican, I will be hosting a screening of Mariah Carey's 2001 film, Glitter, and it is the honour of a lifetime, honestly. Um, I Yeah, I'm a massive Mariah Carey fan, but also it's just really fun to be able to put on um, a really campy screening and then do an introduction that sort of digs into the lore of why the film did so badly and why it's actually not as bad as we'd like to remember um, and just really kind of scan out in front of an audience who paid to be there. That's, you know, instead of just ranting at my friends, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like people were really keen to take Mariah Carey down when Glitter came out. Like, I think there was probably a lot of sexism in it. It felt like, you know, how dare this woman think she's a multi-hyphenate. It was all misogyny and the evil ex-husband. It always goes back to the evil ex-husband, Layla. Oh, really? what, t- t- is it Tommy Matola? Tommy Matola, yeah. So he never wanted her to act. I mean, I could do the whole presentation now. But <laughs> he, he never wanted her to go into acting because it was something he couldn't control, essentially, because he was the head of Sony Music. Um, and then when she divorced and left Sony Music, um, the film was already in production under Sony Pictures, or I think it was Columbia, but still under the umbrella so he still had ways to control and sabotage and leak the soundtrack and get you know certain Jennifer Lopez's on songs that were never meant to be hers and so on and so forth so there's a real rich history there 
and I'm very excited to get into it in front of yeah, sold out crowd. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Hannah, any like films that you think were like really unfairly maligned when they first came out that you, you know, in a dream scenario would love to present before an audience? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, I, I mean, this one has been re- reappraised, but I um, very much like Michael Mann's Miami Vice, which was um, kind of trashed when it came out and uh, suffered a lot of production problems. <clears throat> excuse me and um that has kind of seen a bit of a reappraisal in um subsequent years but i would love to see that at the cinema i um i think it has like an, it has this incredible opening where it just sort of throws you right into this undercover sting at a nightclub and um numb uh slash encore the the, the lincoln park jay-z uh mashup is playing and it, it just goes really hard um but i'm yeah i'm i'm generally like a big fan of um reappraising films i think it's you know the critics don't always get it right and we've got to be big enough to admit that <laughs> it was really sweet when um the recent jackass film came out is that you could track the jackass films on rotten tomatoes as the scores just got higher and higher and higher and higher and they just went from being kind of considered trash culture to just like wonderful like and a wonderful institution that's holding our society together yeah, I mean, I could do a whole podcast about how I feel um, about the Jackass movies and how they were treated um, initially, but um, that 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 will save for maybe um, when the next one comes out. But yeah, I do think it's been nice to see. I think obviously, like the critical landscape changes um, from generation to generation. I think there is something in the idea that critics who grew up watching Jackass are now, you know, in a position to kind of actually explain why it's really good and maybe why it didn't get a fair shake the first time around which you know you love to see it well just glad to hear that it's not actually all down to johnny knoxville having an evil ex-husband who's doing stuff behind (laughs) the scenes to sabotage his career but yeah i mean like well i suppose let's get on to the film in question someone who is you know to be fair being appreciated in the time that he is working jordan peele's nope Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. New members will gain access to our newly launched Discord channel where we'll be giving live updates on movies, magazines and everything else. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. After a small object falling from the sky results in the death of their father, ranch-owning siblings OJ and Emerald Hayward fall on hard times and have to sell many of their prized horses to a child star turned neighbouring theme park owner, Jupe Park. When they spot an unidentified flying object in the sky above the ranch, they join forces with tech salesman Angel Torres and documentarian Antlers Holst and try and make a fortune by capturing it on film. Like, I've got to say, Regan, I was excited for this film for, you know, obvious reasons, but I could not have gotten more excited than when I saw a 555 from you, because the last time that happened was Mangrove, and I was kind of going slightly insane in my house, just being like, oh my god, a Rogan 555 has dropped! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, I mean, I've seen that I've been really lucky to, to see the film twice, 
Um, so I was kind of anxious, honestly. I was like, am I going to stand by this 555 seeing the film again? And like halfway through the film, I saw it with Hannah and I turned to her and I went, this is really good. <laughs> and um, I, I do, in fact, stand by my 555 review. Um, I mean, it's just wonderful. It's so great to just watch people... Uh, filmmakers, actors at the height of their powers and trusting the audience. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of a lot of the a lot of the big guys can be really patronizing. A lot of the big films that come out, a lot of the tent poles, really patronizing and really um insulting honestly to audiences with all these asides and the hand holding. And you know, Jordan Peele knows how good his ideas are and he he knows how talented he is and he knows and trusts the people he works with but there's no smugness it's just pure enjoyment and um yeah I think that there was definitely a lot of pressure I think um with his third feature Get Out being the kind of phenomenon that it was is and all the kind of rip-offs that you get and references and just how quickly it became embedded into culture. And then Us didn't quite land in the same way. Mm. Um, I thought Us was great, really strong film, but I don't think what people were expecting. So I don't think it was, it was perhaps take. It, I mean, it wasn't taken the way that Get Out was. So I think people were sort of on their edge of their seats with this one. Like, what is he going to do? Is he going to do it again? Or was he sort of a, a one-trick pony? which is, is such an insult, really, and, and I think something that is, you know, black directors, women directors, and so on, how to that. But, yeah, um, what do you, how do you guys feel about it? I'm, I think the same, but... <laughs> um, I suppose the thing with Jordan Peele is, like, even coming into this, there is obviously an insane expectation around it, because not only is Get Out winning Oscars... And is us, you know, and us got, you know, a, a fair amount of acclaim, you know, perhaps not the same level, but certainly Lupita Nyong'o was considered to be wonderful. And I think most people like that film, but he's kind of got to be the critical darling and also do mega box office. Like these films tend to make, you know, a couple of hundred million dollars. So, and there's nobody really else that's got the burden of representation, the burden of like, I have to get like above 90 on Rotten Tomatoes and I have to crack $200 million with my movies. But Hannah, you were a Jordan Peele fan coming into this? I know you like the film. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, really liked Get Out and I really liked Us. I agree with Rogan. I think that maybe the kind of expectations with Us were so high, the film kind of really couldn't hope to possibly meet audience kind of... Um, you know, audience and critical uh, ambition there. But, uh, I mean, Lupita Nyong'o is, like, incredible in that film. I still think, like, she really didn't get the respect she deserves for how good she is in that film. Um, but Nope, I was very excited about. I love an alien movie. And um, from the start with the kind of first um, information that was coming out about the film, it was, it kind of felt like it would be an alien film I remember having quite a few conversations with David I was like it's definitely aliens and he was like well it's Jordan Peele you know and he he he's not that obvious he's not gonna make it about aliens and then he did and I felt really smug um mm. but yes yeah, so I was I was very kind of in for this and then obviously you add in this incredible uh cast lineup you know you, him reuniting with uh, Daniel Cleo which is such a huge draw and then Kiki Palmer who I adore and I'm very happy to see her do anything and uh Stephen Yeun who's obviously 
we love Stephen Yun. Uh, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Um, so yeah, it was a very enticing um, trio kind of at the centre of the film for me as well. And I just think that Peel is such an original filmmaker and I'm very glad that he has seemingly so far been able to go down this road of uh, making these huge blockbusters without having to kind of compromise his original storytelling and not having to kind of go off and do a Marvel movie or something you know he's he's getting the kind of budgets that these stories require and certainly Nope is definitely his most ambitious film you think about the scale of it and what uh, kind of special effects this film uh, requires it's really hard to get into this kind of thing without like doing any spoilers because obviously it's just coming out in the UK this week but um, yeah I was so hyped for it and then very much um, I, I saw it with Rogan both times actually and we were we were just kind of like living the entire time it's um, it's such a great it's everything you want from a kind of big summer blockbuster and seeing it in like IMAX particularly, it really is like a overwhelming experience in the best way. God, yeah, no, I, I found myself kind of <clears throat> almost transcending to new levels of joy at, um, at several points. But I mean, to say this film is about aliens is kind of, you know, really <laughs> reducing it down. Um, I mean, I, you know, we, we, we have had a discussion beforehand about what quantifies as spoilers. And, you know, if you are listening to the podcast, do not worry. We are not going to give away many of the big twists and turns that uh, come in this film. But fair to say that there is an unidentified flying object um, and um, some shit goes down. One of the things that um, it keeps coming back to is this kind of use of animals in Hollywood. We have, you know, the Haywards themselves are running this ranch with these horses, uh, which they kind of rent out to like films like The Scorpion King. Um, and then there's the chimps. Um, and <laughs> I believe it's the first scene in the film. So we can talk about that there is an incident on a sitcom set where a chimp um, attacks the cast. Um, and this is uh, something that has, you know, been witnessed by one of the one of the characters and we keep flashing back to it. But what do you think of the way that um, Jordan Peele kind of had a look at animal usage in Hollywood? I mean, I thought it was really interesting and I thought it was quite a, a funny, a funny route to go down. Because I suppose it's not really at the forefront of people's minds. It was maybe something that he him growing up, you know, that was more of a. A thing I know that the the Gordy the chimp situ- situation it was I think inspired by something that actually happened but of course I mean I was born in the 90s so that it was you know that doesn't happen anymore we don't do that anymore so it's not so much at the, at the forefront of my of my mind but it clearly is for him and I think yeah that the the whole the theme running through the film is you know it's prey versus predator I, I suppose and people grappling not to be the prey and trying to outsmart the predator essentially to you know varying degrees of success without any spoilers but I think in the terms of you know animal versus human it works but then of course you get into the whole grander idea about Hollywood and um who's the prey who's the predator who's generating what and for what means and um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard not to, <laughs> not to spoil. 
but, but yeah sorry I was, I was just gonna say that the the chimp attack because this is one of my special interests is um at, which makes me sound slightly insane but um I, I'm fascinated by the idea of performing animals in general because it is something that when I was a kid, I would watch like Doctor Dewitt or something and they would have actual bears and actual monkeys and things performing. But in our lifetime, we've seen this massive switch where uh, it's been acknowledged now how kind of cruel this can be. And uh, VFX have come on so far since then. There's just really no need for it anymore. So, um, again, not a spoiler to say that Terry Notary has quite a big role in, um, or quite a key role, I should say, in this film. And Terry Notary uh, is a fantastic actor who is known mostly for his mocap performances. He was in um, all the Planet of the Apes films. If you need a monkey, you go to Terry. That's that's what I like to say. Um, so he uh, plays the, um, the the chimp, the chimpanzee in this film. And as Rogan said, it was based on a real attack. It was based on um, an incident where a, a, a monkey, a chimpanzee called Travis, who had actually been an actor, had been in Coca-Cola commercials. He'd been in um on on maury and stuff in america he attacked his owner's friend and she was incredibly like seriously injured by this and the chimp was um put down um on the spot by the police who responded so that i think is kind of the most famous incident of a, a performing animal kind of um turning on its um not on its handler in this case, but, you know, obviously on someone close to the handler. And I think that idea of um, the unpredictability of um, wildlife and man's kind of desire to tame um, the untamable kind of feeds in a lot to note. But um, also, I mean, it goes really far into this really interesting idea of, as Rogan just mentioned, like the idea of who in Hollywood is doing the kind of hard work and whose labor is filmmaking based on and what gets sacrificed in the pursuit of fame and fortune and storytelling and there's this um kind of amazing law that the film is uh, based on or where um emeralds played by kiki palmer gives the speech about their uh, hayward horses and how their great 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 i want to say it was it three greats or four greats because they joke about it's in the four, film yeah I think it might have been four. <laughs> great 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 it's four <laughs> <laughs> great 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 grandfather was a jockey who was in the first ever assemblance of photographs used to make a moving <laughs> used to make a motion picture it's quite a mouthful um and he never got any credit for that so they're kind of um used to the way that um black people exploited in Hollywood but they've made this business which used to be at the top of its game and has kind of suffered since this bad miracle uh, which happened to their father and it all kind of feeds back to this idea of exploitation and I'm just fascinated by Peel's ability to turn something that I think people have kind of been talking about especially in more recent years and display it in such an imaginative way it's such a I've never kind of seen anything like this in terms of that theme being interpreted in such a like um, through the lens of like genre cinema, but not straightforward horror cinema because it's not it's it's yeah, it's interesting that this after his first two films, I think were pretty um, you pretty by the book horror films. This is very kind of different. 
for sure I, I just want to say yeah he has so much fun with genre as well because there are horror elements of this of course it's like I'd say overarching it's sci-fi um and but there are just there are just these really fun moments where he's just it, it's not mocking but he's just really having fun with genre with with tropes um which was just really refreshing uh, to see and just see someone yeah he no no he knows his stuff he really does and it is a case of seeing someone getting a bigger budget and like really using it i think he's doing some genuinely like pioneering stuff when it comes to the way he shoots night in this film and there's kind of such that like it kind of it doesn't seem like a normal night scene to me it seems like that thing that when you've been outside in the real dark for like 20 minutes and your eyes have completely adjusted and you can still see everything but it is pitch black which i haven't really seen in the same way but also this is Okay, oh, it's tough not to give anything away, but this is kind of action on a very grand scale, um, shall we say. And what did you think of the design elements of the actual object in the sky, shall we say? Um, so I would, I, I love that Peel is such a nerd because, um, you know, I think it's rare to find a filmmaker who is a huge like film and TV nerd, but is able to kind of extrapolate that in a way that feels very fresh and original so um peel has said like one of his big inspirations for nope was neon uh, genesis neon evangelist uh, some nerd is going to get very annoyed listening to this podcast <laughs> neon genesis evangelion i think is what it is i i can't remember the name. i've only ever seen one episode but i know that um it's an anime kind of iconic anime very has a very strong cult following and he has uh, peel has said like the kind of design of the creatures or um, objects in this film were very much inspired by that. And this idea of something that you expect to be kind of um, uh, heavenly and celestial and and beautiful and in, in reality is actually kind of terrifying. And I, I as someone who went to Catholic school, and I... Um, kind of grew up very much indoctrinated in that world i'm fascinated by the kind of biblical uh, biblical references allusions in this film and uh i loved the i'm trying again trying really hard not to spoil it but the idea of something that is supposed to be very beautiful and very spiritual turning out to be kind of monstrous monstrous and um almost kind of punishing you for your um hubris <laughs> is uh, is really kind of thrilling to me i think it's it's a very um funny film in that respect and i think peel does sometimes doesn't get enough credit for being a really funny filmmaker which is no surprise coming from the comedy background that he has but this is like there's some incredibly funny moments in the film. And I, I got a shout out as well. Obviously, we've talked about Daniel and Kiki, but um, I want to shout out as well uh, Brandon Perrier, who's like a newer mm. actor who this is his kind of big breakout role. And he's so, so good. He plays Angel, the kind of tech support guy. And he's so funny. I, I love him. I can't wait to see what he does next as well. Yeah, going through a bad breakup. I kind of like, I, I really understood exactly who that guy was within about 10 <laughs> seconds of him coming on screen. Of just like, I'm working in retail. My girlfriend's got a show on the CW. Things aren't like going the way that I hope they were. And I'm spending a huge amount of time on Reddit 
looking up <laughs> UFO conspiracy theories. Like he's so endearing, though. Um, I think one of the things that was interesting with the start of this film is um, this Bible quote that comes out. You talked about the Bible a little bit, um, and I'll read it out. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. Like there is something about spectacle in this film because it's something that many of the characters refer back to a couple of times. Um, do you think he's kind of like damning the pursuit of the spectacle in this? Because it doesn't work out well for quite a few of them. Oh, absolutely. I think he, Peel again has said like he was very, okay. <laughs> uh, he was very inspired by writing this film on, during COVID and seeing the kind of endless news cycle of tragedy and the fact that um, we're kind of bombarded on a daily basis by horrific images that we can't look away from or that people seem to kind of clamor more and more for and I <clears throat> I think the film does kind of um, ho hold up a mirror there's actually some physical holding up a mirror in the film which is very funny but um, it does kind of ask us to question our relationship with um, tragedy and with um, things like chimpanzee attacks and kind of, you know, reevaluate why these things um, are so kind of interesting, appealing, you know. It reminded me a lot of, like, the true crime industrial complex and how, like, these horrific stories of people losing their lives and being attacked have now become something that is very heavily monetized. And, you know, you'll be watching a video or listening to a podcast and they'll be talking about some of the worst things that humans can do to each other and then it'll be sponsored by Blue Apron do you need dinner tonight you know that kind of like um jarring um almost normalization now we have of extreme violence and um obviously like as a as a black filmmaker I think that um John Pierre has a lot of very interesting ideas around that and um yeah I was I mean, it's such a great quote as well. It's such a, like, it goes pretty hard, the Old Testament. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a good one. I was very, uh, well, as soon as that came up, I was like, okay, this film's going to be a ride. <laughs> uh, for Rogan, for you, like, one of the big things that people have been talking about is Kiki Palmer, because she was sort of a bit of a meme machine beforehand, <laughs> and people, I think a lot of people just adore her, but it's not even that connected to her work. Like, what did you think of her as an actual actress? Oh, I thought she was, um, I thought she was wonderful. I think Kiki Palmer is so interesting because she is royalty, like acting royalty in the black, in the black American community specifically, you know, she was a child star and she, you know, she really is jack of all trades. You know, she had her own TV show. She's like a judge on um, Legendary, which is like this ballroom um, show she it's had a music career you know she's kind of done it all and it's it's so interesting because then her internet presence is you know kind of like everyone's is is cut down to these you know entertaining moments um but the idea that this is the film that might introduce her to people and they have so much more to discover because she is just such a delight on screen um I think especially in the final act the the way she can just turn on a dime to like the um the levity to just the pure heart and you just want to protect her and again no spoilers but she just you know you just 
she has this real ability to just kind of look into the soul of an audience and give you exactly what you need at the right time she's just yeah on a dime she's that good she's really wonderful and um yeah it will be it'll be interesting I think to see because she's already so big and she is already like I said you know acting royalty but this is like a very different scale um I think I, I think as it is for all of the cast um I forget the actor's name who played Angel, but I'm sure he's having the time of his life at the minute as, you know, the kind of sneak favourite, I think, for a lot of people um, who've come in, I'm not sure. And holding himself, you know, you know, he's managing to kind of have a presence aside Michael Wincott, who I just think is kind of one of the most exciting people that you can put in anything. But um, yeah, I, I, I found myself almost most impressed by this film in like the final 15 minutes or so because the final 15 minutes have very very little dialogue conceptually it's incredibly complicated what is going on what the rules are what just like the vista is the topography and then you've got all these different characters with such different motivations many of whom change their minds as to what they're going to do halfway through it and then and almost entirely dialogue free you're just kind of awed. I was just like overcome by the scope of it. I remember when I left the first screening, knowing I had to write a review. I was like, I didn't think, I don't think I took enough notes. I was just, <laughs> I was just overcome um, in the best way possible because this it is just like awe-inspiring the scale and the sound design. And um, they're, they're, I'd say probably the most distinctly horror scenes in the movie is when the sound really comes to the the forefront that just like spine tingling um inescapable uh noise of the thing in the sky the object mm-hmm. in the sky um, <laughs> goosebumps just talking about I it i know <laughs> you know it is i'm like oh you know your back goes um <laughs> it, it just that fully subsumed fully in there in at times the worst way and um as saying, I mean, the same with the cinematography. I think there's a there's a night scene which you did touch on, Hoyt van Hoytema, um, who works with Christopher Nolan a lot. So if you're talking about scale, just to kind of give, you know, any perspective anyone familiar with his work and, and the scale he goes in on, um, but that that night scene in particular, and the way Daniel's skin is is lit um, in the car. I think there is you know a lot of discussion about the way black skin is lit in film, and I think Bullet Train was a a very like recent example of it being done really badly I don't think Brian Tyree Henry looked you know was made to look his best in that at all but then you have Daniel Kaluuya who's just like glistening you know in the night sky <laughs> in a car in a thunderstorm um it's just some really really beautiful images that you just get really swept up in and again you're kind of you're on this ranch you know in the middle of nowhere California just yeah um fully in there and but yeah you get a sense of that isolation out there as well and there's a scene that's like absolutely terrifying uh, which I'm sure must have been inspired by uh, the shining and I'm thinking particularly of the elevators of blood scene in the shining um where the family where uh, we've got OJ and emeralds and um angel kind of trying to evade the thing in the sky and it just is like horrifying to watch um but very like you know um 
invigorating at the same time and I think that's like the best best way to describe this film horrifying but invigorating and um it is like it's an extremely entertaining film and I said I've said before like it is funny there are some very funny moments and I think the thing that Peel understands about uh, horror is how people actually react in these kind of situations and I think it is kind of human nature to kind of like um panic and the way that like oj um, and emerald sort of panic is very funny to watch and um there's an amazing scene in a barn which i won't spoil too much but watching that with the crowd is just it was just so so satisfying because the whole crowd were on the edge of their seats like shouting and kind of like making a noise and it was just it's one of those films I cannot recommend enough. I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, everyone would see everything at the cinema, but this is definitely one you don't want to miss at the cinema, I think. Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of horror films, and I felt about this in many ways, like I do about Silence of the Lambs, that this film taught me about things that I didn't know that I was terrified of, like <laughs> like tiny coins and barns and esophaguses. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Many cowboy hats. <laughs> Many cowboy hats. <laughs> but I feel more than anything, it's just something that is so joyful to chew over in the hours and days and weeks that pass after you've seen it. Like it's now been a bit of time since we've all seen it. We've had time to digest and new things about it keep popping into my mind about how in an early scene, there's such a moment on a set where OJ cannot make eye contact with people. Like he's just too shy. He doesn't have the confidence. And then actually his his hero moment at the end comes down a lot to actually making that eye contact. And like, you know, I'll just have a thought like that about this and be like, oh God, another little treat Jordan Peele gave me. Are there any of the things that you've kind of thought about seen or maybe even seen online referencing this that you've kind of particularly enjoyed? Just the way that things like callbacks um, to and and there's a callback like quite late in the film to um, something to do with uh, Dupe and his childhood, which I thought was like incredible. And I didn't know about that until I saw someone mention it on Twitter. There's been so many kind of amazing reads on the film and people pointing out little easter eggs and references i mean the film is just jam-packed with cinematic references i mentioned uh, the shining but obviously we're going to talk about hitchcock and spielberg in a minute but also uh, m night shyamalan signs is kind of there's like references to that in a very funny way and um it's just such a joy to kind of be part of a community discovering these things about this film and it has that's what I think gives it so much rewatch value is that there's things nestled hidden away for you to discover which I really enjoyed. Raven what about you anything in retrospect that you've kind of appreciated more with a bit of hindsight? I was thinking that so there are these title cards you know for the names of of the creatures so there's one for Gordy and then the names of the different horses um and my little brain has been kind of making connections um, to like, oh yeah, clo- yeah, cl- there's clover and four leaf clovers um, and luck, but like false luck because you never that never really happens. And then of course there's the horse Lucky, and then there's Gordy, and the, all those kind of little things. Because initially, I, the, I think it's I don't think it's a complicated film to follow, but I do see people will be wanting to overcomplicate it because they think Jordan Peele, you know 
he's he's this really complex genius and you have to get on his level and it's like no he he's very you know graciously presented you this great fun thing that you know is not incredibly complicated but i can see people over complicating it anyway the it was the title cards that i find quite interesting to think of those um and yeah thinking about their what they mean for for each chapter of the film um, is something that I picked up on the second watch, but I'm going to see it again. I'm going to see it a third time. <laughs> Possibly see it a third time. <laughs> I mean, maybe a fourth. I don't know. Like, it's great. <laughs> God, it does feel that maybe we were born in the wrong time because perhaps this is what blockbusters used to be, and now they're bullet train. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is going to do very well. So perhaps that's uh, you know. Um, underestimating its box office power but let's get some scores on this before we move on even though I don't want to move on I just want to talk about this with you all day <laughs> but Reagan do you want to go first you're still dropping that powerful 555 five, five. I'm still 555 five, five. um I, do you know what starting this episode talking about glitter I'm I'm worried that now that 555 five, five doesn't carry the same weight but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean love Jordan Peele love get out I love Daniel Kaluuya. I didn't even get into my love for Daniel Kaluuya, which is probably for the best. Um, you know, I don't want to put him off if he was to listen. Um, but <laughs> big fan. Um, so I, I'm the first in line to see anything that he's in. And then it's a Jordan Peele film, film, you know, double that. Throughout, I was literally just on the edge of my seat, like mouth open, laughing, you know, cowering, just having the time of my life. And, and in retrospect... All those feelings hold up um yeah five 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 i know what about you yeah uh, i i am the same five 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 um i try to not go five 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 but some films deserve it and i think that this after two watches is definitely one of the best films of the year it will be high on my end of year list and again yeah like like you like rogan i can't wait to see it again i think it's just such a great time at the cinema and i am very excited uh not only for you know whatever peel does next but i'm very excited to see more of brandon Pereira. like what what a little breakout style we've got there <laughs> Yeah, Brandon Perea, Keith David, so good in this. Michael Wincott, I've now I've mentioned Michael Wincott again, but like these to me, Michael Wincott, Keith David are my two favorite voices in cinema. So the fact that I got to enjoy those kind of velvety, gruff, you know, grisly tones on my eardrums in the same film, I just yeah, I don't think this has actually ever happened on an episode of, that I've been on before. But five five five. <laughs> Um, I, I, I loved it. I was sat there the entire time thinking like this was a treat specifically designed for me. And it isn't. But I think it, he has such kind of a rich um, tapestry going on there. And there's so much to take from it and so many different angles to interpret it that it is possible to just connect with it like really personally, very, very fast. And I love that he doesn't over explain a lot of it. I, you know, particularly Duke Park's character. He leaves a lot off the screen and then there's a lot for you to kind of text your friends afterwards being just like, well, what was going on there and how does this business plan work? Yeah. <laughs> I laughed, I cried, I loved it. Um, thank you, Jordan Peele, and more of this, please. And everybody, please go and watch it and so we get more giant budgeted films from this wonderful filmmaker. Up next, Film Club. <laughs> Thank you. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wealthy San Francisco socialite pursues a potential boyfriend to a small northern Californian town that slowly takes a turn for the bizarre when birds of all kinds suddenly begin to attack people. Hannah, so, you know, Jordan Peele has not been shy about talking about how much he loves Hitchcock. Um, are you also a Hitchcock fan? Uh, you know, not not really, uh, which just feels like sacrilege to say. Um, it's funny, when we, we've all been... Everyone in the film community has been doing their sight and sound top ten of the dec uh, their once a decade top films ever made uh, list, and I didn't have a single Hitchcock on there. Uh, I nearly put Rebecca on there because I do love Rebecca, but um, yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know. I I can totally appreciate him as a filmmaker, and Vertigo is obviously like an incredible film, but he's just not someone I've ever really found the time to kind of dive into. And maybe that's something I should look at doing, particularly since he's influenced so many filmmakers I love. Um, but this was my first watch of The Birds, which I think is a film that has been kind of memed to death um there's so many references i now understand particularly simpsons references i think yes. of that incredible um episode where hans molman gets like stuck in the bird park and he's in the the phone booth saying i need the biggest bag of bird seed you've got and the birds are attacking the glass door and he goes no no that's too big mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and like, just things like that now I, I finally understand the jokes um but in terms of this film I I can't say like it it holds up. Um it is a, a unrelentingly ridiculous film. <laughs> um and I think some of that is just, you know, the problem is like technology has moved on so much since um Hitchcock was making films and I try to not be like, you know, I try to take that into account and not be too um harsh but it it just looks so silly at some points when they're like running all the children are running away from the birds <laughs> but they're very clearly not in the same <laughs> shot and it just looks really really silly um so i i i enjoyed it more as a kind of curio and kind of wow people used to be people used to find this terrifying um than kind of actually finding it 
suspenseful in the way that I think a lot of Hitchcock's films that I've seen do hold up. I think this is maybe one that doesn't quite um, look look as good now as it did at the time. Yeah, I, I think of the birds as being like n- no Hitchcock fan's favourite Hitchcock. And if you ever kind of want to impress a Hitchcock geek, um, if you said that the birds was your favourite, they would kind of look at you with like great disdain. Like, because yeah, the answer to that is, you know, you've got to say it's Vertigo or Rope or Frenzy or something like more obscure. Ones. This is, I suppose, more blockbustery than most of he does, but far less disturbing. Um, <laughs> Rogan, was this your first time watching The Birds? It was my first time watching The Birds, and it's really funny, Hannah, you're talking about, you know, how much technology's moved on, because I mentioned to my mum that, oh, I'm, I'm going to be watching The Birds for the podcast. And she went, oh my God, I watched that when I was a little girl. It was so terrifying. No, I, let me know when you're watching it. I won't be watching it with you kind of thing. And then as I was watching it, I was like, huh, as a little girl, you know, in the 70s, this probably was really terrifying, <laughs> you know, but I'm watching it now and it is just a little bit weird. Um, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I, en- I enjoyed it. I, d- I had fun with it. Um, and I definitely see why, you know, why it's, it's paired up with Nope. Um, that makes a lot of sense. But it, yeah, it's not, I'm not, I'm not a big Hitchcock fan, but it's also, I don't imagine it'll be up there for me either. Yeah, the funny thing is that I am quite afraid of birds and I was still not scared. <laughs> like, I think there are, there is one kind of quite, I can see it's a scary reveal where we sort of find a person who has had their eyes pecked out by birds. And I think there is a quite a primal fear about, you know, people that do find nervous around birds that they're going to go for your eyes. But beyond that, I don't know, were there any moments of great suspense for you guys? Um, I think that, I think actually, and this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think the most suspenseful bit for me is um, near the end when you just, like, you know, they're kind of leaving and you just see all the birds waiting, waiting. <laughs> and that, I was like, yeah, birds do do that. <laughs> but birds be waiting. Um, the other day I was at um, Hampstead Heath and I was sat in the cafe a bit with my friend Steph and um, there's a big sign on the wall that says, do not leave food unattended or birds may eat it. And I thought that was really funny. So I took a picture of it. And then the woman next to us left and she had left her like half her breakfast. And oh my God, that, that was more terrifying than the birds just seeing. So it started with one crow and then another crow. And then suddenly there were like 20 crows all just like fighting over this, like half a thing of beans and toast. And that was very scary. So I do understand where Hitchcock is coming from. And I, I mean, this was based on um, a, a story, wasn't it? It was based on a Demoria story. Um, he, um, so I totally understand that fear. But I think the real thing is so much scarier than this film. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say that as well. And I, I just I just remembered, actually, my first introduction, there was this like BBC drama years ago where Toby Jones was playing Hitchcock. And it was, I think... I don't know if it was just, I really don't remember it at all, but I don't know if it was explicitly about the making of the birds, but it was just basically about how Hitchcock, you know, not the best guy. Yeah, tortured Um, Tiffy Hedren for this film, basically. Yeah, Um, yes. And that's what, that that was my earliest memory of the birds. It's Toby Jones torturing whichever blonde actress was playing, Tippi Hedren. And I just remember the relentlessness of shooting that attic scene over and over again. So then when I actually watched the film, 
I was like, oh God, like, this is going to be torturous for me to watch. And I mean, it, you know, was a million times more torturous, obviously, to shoot because I I didn't really feel much towards it. But that was my, you know, my first memory of of the birds. And I think that it was probably more horrifying than the film, uh, really, his his treatment, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because so much of Nope is about kind of the lengths to which people will go to kind of create cinema and to create spectacle and stuff. And as I actually, I do love Hitchcock and, you know, I've worked my way through many a Hitchcock box set in the past, but there's a kind of slight disappointment about like, oh, well, you know, like Kubrick basically tortured people and like Coppola kind of tortured people in order to make these masterpieces. And it's just like, oh God, Tippi Hedren got tortured for this? Mediocre. (laughs) (laughs) Entry in the Hitchcock oeuvre. Like, that's a bit of a shame. Yeah. It is. <laughs> if you're going to suffer for your art, at least be creating vertigo. Okay, let's move on to our second film club entry, Jaws. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community off Cape Cod, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Rogan, I've got to assume you've watched Jaws before, and I'd say that this is a film that terrified our parents, but probably terrified us as well. Yeah, I mean, I have. My, I think my uncle, when I was younger, was like a big Spielberg. I mean, no one in my family is a massive film person, but he was like Jaws, Jurassic Park. That's the stuff, like that, you know, and that those two films. Um, but uh, so I, I kind of have really vague memories from when I was young. But then I've obviously watched it since. It's it's another one that has great rewatch value, um, in the same vein as Nope. Um, and yeah, I had a great time rewatching it for this. The, I mean, I haven't seen it a great deal of times, maybe four times throughout my life. Um, but I'm still shocked at the bloody size of that shark <laughs> every time every time it, the reveal i'm like jesus wept um, <laughs> but, but yeah no i it was it was a great one watching it for this and yeah and you do you definitely see the the direct influence um on nope for sure and in all the best ways yeah it does seem strange that if this film a is a pg but also was the biggest film, you know, biggest box office ever for quite a long time. Like that, like a child gets ripped to pieces in front of their mother, like ten minutes in, and it's that, not yeah. the bit with the leg. Ooh. Yeah, they kind of often. I think Jaws is talked about as being like, ooh, like the power of suggestion. But there's also quite a lot of not suggestion. <laughs> the straight up violence. <laughs> Yeah, even against these sharks, like we we see some the, pretty the, gross. Uh, yeah, the blowing yeah. the blowing up at the end, which I was like, oh, of course, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was like that was pretty rough. Just seeing you know shark guts just in the Rain sky. Down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favourite episodes of Mythbusters is that they actually build a kind of realistic shark and they do test that out and it would work. Oh. That shark would have blown up had he landed that shot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, let's get back to the So one of the things that's kind of infamous about Jaws is that like they planned to use that mechanical shark a ton and then it kept breaking. So they had to come up with other ways to kind of suggest that it's there. And that's something that very much recurs in Nope, the way that they kind of suggest the presence of the object without showing it to you explicitly. Just wondering, in Jaws, were there any particular favourites that you had? Because we've got music, we've got barrels, we've got loads of different ways. Ooh, 
Um, yeah, no, I, I think the musical cue is so iconic and um, just the idea of John Williams having like done all this, like all these like possible um, bits of music and then it was just that two note that uh, Spielberg was like, that, that's the stuff, that's what we want. He's like, well, really? Two note? Okay, fine. <laughs> um, but it is like, it's iconic for like a good reason. You know, it has haunted swimming pools ever since. And um, I... I'm a big music nerd anyway. So like the power of suggestion with music, I find so um, exciting. And, you know, this really is, I think, a, a proto, um, you know, one of the ones we always go back to in filmmaking. And I think you see it as well in uh, in Nope. Um, the score for Nope is amazing. We didn't even really get to touch on that. But um, that is, I think, um, probably my favourite part, Watch rewatching it now as an adult and not a terrified child. Um, but I also like... On, on a different subject, I just want to, like, highlight the fact that uh, Richard Dreyfuss and um, Roy Schneider in this film are, are, are very hot. Yeah. <laughs> and I enjoyed that as well. <laughs> also, you know, and uh, what people don't talk about is how snappily dressed that mayor is. <laughs> like, there is a crisis happening. He's running an island. It's the height of the season. And that man puts a pastel suit together with such a plomb. Every time I rewatch this film, I'm just like, I appreciate the, the effort that this man is taking. I, you know, he gets reelected in Jaws too, but I can see why. <laughs> Even though he wanted to reopen the beach, <laughs> he was just constantly like, oh, this shark thing's fine. Like, it's not going to be a big issue. <laughs> it is. I also think that as well ties back into Note pretty nicely. This idea of like writing off um, threat in order, in, in pursuit of profits, um, I think is that is like a kind of through line in um, Nope. And I think very true to life is that capitalism will always kind of win out against like human tragedy, which is very depressing. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I remember at the start of the pandemic, so many people, you know, this very start of lockdown, people were going, yeah, it's like in Jaws when they just told us, you know, when they wanted to open yeah. the beach, it's like these government officials are saying, you know, just keep swimming. Um, yeah. You know, that that kind of mentality. But yeah, it's also the, it's just kind of the hubris of, of man, just that, yeah, I can, you know, I'm, I'm greater than this thing. I can handle this thing. I can control this. I can cage this. I can, you know, it's not, it's not greater than me. I'm, you know, uh, and that again in Jaws and in Nope, um, yeah, just great through line. Yeah, it's interesting in the book that this is based on, which is not very good, so I don't recommend anyone read it. Um, the mayor is being like blackmailed by the mob in order to keep the beaches open, um, and I think it's just so much more interesting when you kind of you know you you don't need that. You actually just mm -hmm. need somebody that's after quite a minor amount of power which is like quite depressing in a way like it's like he doesn't even have like a great ambition or a threat to his life it's just like no I want our arcades and local restaurants to do well and for me to take this like maintain this mayor job on this island which has got just a few thousand inhabitants and one sheriff who who's big like and I love that his crime that, that he's investigating at the start of it is that little boys are karate chopping fences after their karate class <laughs> yeah i i do love um uh chief Brody is like so beleaguered <laughs> he just like he's just it, the last thing this man needs is a killer shark <laughs> like, he's really like you know he's already kind of doesn't really want to be there very much and you know he's kind of bickering with his wife and his kid always like annoying son wants to do is go swimming and um i felt very much kind of 
uh, I'm very much on his side and um, you know kind of I love that central dynamic between uh, we have Dreyfus and uh, Robert Shaw who I think is just <laughs> so good as Quint like just that when he does his little um uh, speech about surviving the uh, SS Indianapolis, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is again another moment that has like passed into the pop culture annals of history because it's so good. Um, that central, like, yeah, that central trio of of, of, of Dreyfus, Schneider, and um, Shaw when they're just like hanging out on the boat together, it's just like it almost becomes this kind of buddy movie, just like three guys trying to catch a shark. Um, which you know, there's there's so many um, levels to this, very much like Nope, um, in that. The reason it's so effective as a thriller is because you get those moments of levity and those moments of kind of uh, storytelling beyond just kind of the the pure terror of this uh, shark coming from the deep to gobble up people. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love I, I think the performance that Roy Schroeder gives of um, of Brody is, is is so underrated because I, I I love that again a bit like note that it's not fully explained like there's kind of Clearly, he's left the city for some reason. Something bad happens. And just after, before that SS Indianapolis speech, you kind of see him, when they're comparing scars, reach up and there's a glimpse of what seems to be a bullet wound. And there is an idea that he really did not need this shit. And he has to overcome his fears, much like Daniel Killer and Nope. The par- there's a lot of parallels. If you love Doors, you're going to love Nope. But, you know, that he, he overcomes like an innate fear in himself and kind of rises to the occasion. So like, as much as this is like a brutal film, I think it's incredibly feel good and triumphant at the end. <laughs> yeah, not unless you're a shark. <laughs> this film did damage the shark community, I will say, like after, after Jaws came out sharks like really could have done with a win in terms of pr and um it it really i I, i'm pretty sure that there were like ramifications for like the great white shark uh, in terms of like it being seen as this man-eating menace which really is not like it's not that common at all for sharks to attack people um which is why it's such an effective film i guess but um it really plays on this fear of the unknown that we have especially about the ocean i'm terrified of open water not because of jaws i just think we don't know enough about it don't know what's going on down there the only man we've got down there is james cameron he's not telling us everything (laughs) (laughs) so the image of james cameron like that's where he lives um (laughs) yeah no my my friend bolu bolu she calls it monster soup like the 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 sea the ocean is just monster soup you don't know what's down there you just all it you just stir it up once and god knows what will become flying out there like no (laughs) It's, I guess Nope and Jaws are playing on our two big fears of the unknown, which is the, the depths of the ocean and the, and what is out there watching us in space. Uh, they make it, I, someone should do it as a double bill at the cinema because I think they would work. You would, you would come out a nervous wreck, but it would, it would be great to see both on a big screen, one after the other. Yeah, I mean, a deep dive on Nope is like about surveillance culture. I mean, that, that's a thing. There's, a, there's just so much to unpick. It's so good. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, and and I, I well, we, we've come to the end of our time together, which I'm really sad about because this has been like one of the more fun weeks. Well, I mean, gee, no criticism to former guests. It's just I really love Jaws and I really love Nope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it just, you know, I know that kind of nostalgia is kind of a bit of a sickness, but it really feels like they don't make, they don't give a 27-year-old guy with a dream a giant budget to go off and make a 
kind of crazy shark kid murdering movie anymore and i wish it happened more of it and you know as an early spielberg fan um it's just a joy to revisit so if you've got thoughts on these films you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at lwlies next week more hitchcockian thrills in babak anvari's i came by esther is up to no good again in the prequel orphan first kill and on film club the terror doesn't relent with silence of the lambs God, lots of great scary films at the moment. I'm loving this. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Rogan Graham and Hannah Strong. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 